0: morning, brothers and sisters. It's good to see everyone here today. Um, A lot of us have been in and out and up and down and all around, so it's good to see everyone back. We're in Colossians chapter 4, uh, verses 2 through 6. And we're at a point now in the passage where Paul has really laid out for us um, the importance of not building our life on man-made religion or human philosophy or mysticism or asceticism, but it's he built upon our relationship with Jesus Christ. And the hymn we just sang, Amazing Grace, uh, because we're, we have been a result of the fall, our hearts tend to become hardened to these things. And even though God has richly blessed us in Christ by dying on the cross for our sins and granting us forgiveness and sonship, and offering to prepare a place for us and being incredibly gracious when he didn't have to be, we can sometimes still be calloused uh, in this great truth. And this is why Paul in Colossians 3, if you look at Colossians 3, he first says, set your hearts on things above for Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And he tells us that we died with Christ, we were buried with him, we were raised with Christ. We are new creations in Christ. And he says, focus on Christ Christ. And what Christ has done for you and then he says your next task is to put off the old man and to put on the new man and that's a lifetime job of continuing to lay aside the old ways of thinking and speaking and acting and putting on the new things of Christ compassion kindness humility gentleness patience forbearance and forgiveness and then he talks about the fact that Because of what's happened to you, you need to let the Word of God richly dwell within you, and everything you do in word or deed should be done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father. So our lives become about Christ and about who He is and what He's done. And then He says, Now because you are a new creation, things are going to change in every sphere of life, husbands and wives. Because if you're drawing upon the rich resources of Christ, wives, you can submit to your husbands, trusting God as he leads and guides in that situation. And husbands, you don't have to domineer over your wife. You can love them as Christ loved the church. And children, because of what Christ has done for you, you can submit to your parents in all things. And parents, and particularly fathers, because Christ has been merciful to you, don't be domineering over your family and then slaves because of Christ and what he's done for you you can gladly serve your master and do it not just when he's watching but you can do it anytime because you're really serving Christ in all that you do and then masters because you have a master who is gracious enough to die for you And shed his blood that you might be saved. You should be that same kind of master toward those who are under your care. And so the gospel is affecting all these relationships. And we now get to uh, Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. And Paul now says, now it should drastically affect your ministry to unbelievers. Because you once were an unbeliever. You were once alienated from God. You were enemies of Christ. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And God's been merciful to you. So now your relationship with Christ, the love he's, he's passed on to you, should be passed on to those who don't know yet know Christ. The title of our message today is Christ Transforms Our Ministry to Unbelievers. He literally transforms it. Before, we were all about ourselves and all about our circumstances and all about our own life, and we didn't even know we were on our path to God's wrath, and we sure didn't care about anybody else and what path they were on. But now, because of what Christ has done for us, we now become aware of the need of those who don't know Christ, even if they don't know that. The gospel of Christ transforms us into effective ambassadors to unbelievers, we turn to Second Corinthians chapter five. Second Corinthians five. We read uh, in verse seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Something radically happens to us when we come encounter with Jesus. We don't just put on church attendance and reading the Bible and just doing some basic rules and regulations. We are transformed into a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He didn't just save us and put us on the shelf and say, just hold on there, and when I come back, you're going to heaven, and live your life and enjoy life here and don't worry about anything else. He made us, he gave us a ministry of reconciliation, That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So through Christ, God did two things. He didn't count our sins against us. Praise God. Hallelujah. That our sins are not counted against us. And not only that, he gave us a mission a mission, a ministry of reconciliation where we bring Christ to other people and show them the beauty of who he is. We implore you, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. That's what an ambassador is. He represents someone else and he makes an appeal to whoever's out there. And we appeal to people who don't know Jesus as Christ's ambassadors, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. First uh, Corinthians five twenty one: the great exchange. God made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, and we received His righteousness. And that is the message we are to share with people. Who are we in the same condition we were in, lost without Christ, bound up in our sin, bound up in their sins? We're to tell them there's a savior, one who can set them free, one who can forgive them, one who can help them live the way they should live, and one who can have a purpose in life that is of value. Evangelism, defined by an elevator operator in the hospital at Nashville, said this is deep theologically but it's good i'm just a nobody telling everybody about somebody who can save anybody that is evangelism a person who really doesn't have standing on their own telling everyone about christ who can save anyone so we're going to look at how do we have this ministry first of all it starts with evangel it starts with prayer and bob spent a good session last time on prayer and the importance of prayer and how to pray and i just want to look at the importance of prayer in evangelism in acts 1 if you if you go to acts chapter 1 in acts 1 8 jesus says do not stay here and pray until the holy spirit comes and when he comes You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's Acts 1.8. In other words, you guys have lived with me, you have been with me, you have seen me resurrected. Stop. Before you do anything, you have to have the Holy Spirit. You have to have the power to be able to be my witnesses and to carry out this ministry of reconciliation. In Acts 1.14, we read, In all these with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So they were praying in the upper room, and you remember what happened? On the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the Day of Atonement, the Holy Spirit came down upon those people, and they were transformed, and they began to proclaim the gospel everywhere they went prayer preceded the coming of the spirit in acts four twenty nine through 31 if you'll turn there peter and john are in the temple beautiful and they heal a man who's lame and he's walking and leaping and praising god and it causes a problem for the religious leaders because they're preaching in the name of Jesus and they don't want that because they were the ones who crucified Jesus so they called him in they stood before the leading council of the Sanhedrin and they're told do not speak in his name and their response was you decide what we should do but we can only obey God rather than men and they go back after they've had this rebuke by the council and look what they do in Acts four twenty-nine. and now Lord now they're praying So they had a threat, they had somebody trying to tell them to be quiet about Jesus, they gather and pray, wouldn't you love to gather and praise a group and have the place shaken? Wouldn't that be something? And they were all filled with the Spirit, they were equipped and ready to go share, and they boldly continued to proclaim the truth of Christ. Prayer precedes evangelism. John Piper He says, I have often said that one of the reasons we feel so weak in our prayer lives is that we have tried to make a domestic intercom out of a wartime walkie-talkie. Prayer is not designed as an intercom between us and God to serve the domestic comforts of the saints. Lord, I need a new TV. Lord, I need a bigger house. Lord, I need X, Y, and Z. I need more comforts. It's designed as a walkie-talkie for spiritual battlefields. It's the link between the active soldiers and their command headquarters with its unlimited firepower and air cover and strategic wisdom. God has given us prayer that we might spread his word across this globe. Prayer opens doors to proclaim Christ. We see that in this passage in verse 3, that God may open to us a door for the word. There's lots of closed doors. Every heart that's an unbelieving heart is a closed door. And we've seen even in Houston, Texas now, there's a desire to shut down the pulpits and speaking about certain issues, trying to close the door. We know in communist countries, Bibles are taken up. People are persecuted, closing the door. Satan wants to keep the eyes of people blind to the gospel of Christ. This is warfare. And we are called to go forth and to be bold in proclaiming the gospel that people might be set free. In Acts 14, 27, we read, and when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Paul was a Jew, he was saved, and he was the minister to the Gentiles, and God opened a door to them. In 1 Corinthians 16, 8 and 9. But I will say, well, I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to us, and therefore there are also many what? Adversaries. So we pray that God may open up doors for us, that he might go before us and prepare ways for us. I remember when we were doing international student ministry in Fort Worth, uh, we received the job from Texas Christian University. One of the tasks was they needed students picked up at the airport. And so we gladly took on that responsibility because we wanted to get to know these students. And so we made a little trip back and forth to DFW all the time, picking up international students in August. And um, so we were at the International House where all the students were coming when they first got there and we were greeting with them and we were feeding them and we were helping them uh, find places to stay and furniture and all this and that. And I remember uh, I had a lot going on that day so I passed off one assignment to pick up two Chinese students that was coming in around 6 o'clock or 7. And I called the brother and said, listen, can you make sure you pick those people up? This was the time before cell phones, okay? And so I found out at 6.30 to 7 that the brother never got the message. or actually, he got the message and he had responded back by by voicemail that he couldn't do it. And so I realized, I'm like, they've already been at the airport. Their flight came in. They're just sitting there. And it was like, here's an opportunity. What's going to happen? So we just prayed. Said, Lord, as we're going to the airport, Lord, please help them be there. This was now, this was now nine o'clock at night. Flight had come in at 6.30 or 7.00. We're driving there, we get to the airport, it's like, you know, 10. It's like there's nobody there. I mean, it's just like a ghost town. You're walking in through the terminal, you're looking around. And went to a counter and said, you know, have you seen any Chinese men here? He said, there's a couple of gentlemen down there, down there at the baggage claim. Their flight just came in. We Went down, met Mu and his friend, and we took them home. And so we're in the car driving. And uh, I said, Moose, so why did you come to the United States? He says, well, I believe, I've been studying your country in China. And I believe that Christianity is a real important foundational basis for your country. And I came to Texas Christian University because it's Christian. And I wanted to learn about the Bible and what the Bible taught. Talk about door open. And that began a relationship that went for months and months and months and him studying the scriptures for himself and coming to a place of faith in Christ. So prayer opens doors. Prayer puts planes on hold. Prayer does things to open up doors for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Secondly, prayer seeks grace to be bold to walk through the open doors and a willingness to suffer for the sake of the gospel. This is, sharing the gospel is risky business. We haven't thought that so much because we've been in this little bubble called the United States, but we can hear the air slowly going out of the bubble. We need open doors and we need the grace to walk through those doors. We need. Boldness And Paul prays for that here in this passage. In Colossians chapter 4, he says, um, we see this particularly in Ephesians where he says, he asks the Ephesians to pray for him to have boldness. But in 4, he says, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Paul, the ultimate missionary, the ultimate apostle, The one who had planted churches, the one who went into the Jewish synagogue and preached Christ, the one who was stoned and drug outside the city and left for dead, he asks the Ephesian church and he asks the Colossian church to pray for him. That he might be able to be faithful in proclaiming the message. If the Apostle Paul needs prayer, so so do we, don't we, brothers and sisters? You know, it's amazing how God opens doors. You know, Tankersley family has two or three of their kids in, in uh, the school down in Burning, Bernie High School. And um, so Mike basically talked to their coach, said, listen, uh, y'all doing FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, would you like to have somebody come and speak? And he said, oh, sure, sure, let him come on in. So I came in. And uh, it's been kind of a ministry of just showing up and being there, and it's usually student-led. And so the students will have something to say, and then they'll say, Mr. Infra, would you like to have something to say? So I'll say a few words, and then we'll pray, and we'll go. And the Lord has just continued to open this door of ministry to all kinds of students from all kinds of different backgrounds, and to see them um, growing in their love of the Word— and, and their understanding of the gospel. Uh, we had a, last Wednesday, we had a huge FCA group of several high schools gathering, students giving testimony, and, and then uh, I was asked to kind close of close off the, the conversation uh, the, the evening, and got a chance to clearly proclaim Christ and what he could do and the gospel and salvation. That's an open door. That's an unusual open door. And a lot of times, the open door starts as just kind of showing up and kind of just being there. With the international student ministry, it just started off as, hey, do y'all need any help? Oh, you need to pick up some students at the airport. Okay, we'll go do that. Well, what else do you need us to do? Okay, we'll do that. And you just, you just you're there, and then you find that God continues to open wider and wider these doors of opportunity. But you know, we have to get out in the boat, don't we, to fish, Jesus told his disciples, I'll make you fishers of men. It's really hard to fish when you're not near water. You have to kind of get in the boat. You know, and and a lot of us, we don't really have a pond to fish in. We've kind of, we've, a lot of us, were involved in a lot of stuff in our life and we're busy and we have to kind of go out there and get in the boat, push it out there, and so we need to find ways in which we can interact with our culture. That's why this FCA is such a wonderful thing. It's, it's a place to go fishing for Pastor Paul. I love it. I love to fish anyway. But it's, it's great. I remember one time I had, um, I had dinner with George Grant when I was a head, headmaster of a classical Christian school. And we were asking George all these questions, because George Grant kind of is the encyclopedia on history and all these different things. And I said, so, so George, how do you, how do you find opportunities to share your faith? Because one of the challenges in ministry is you're always around the people of God, and you're not around people who aren't believers a lot of times. He says, well, what I do is, he said, I have a special little restaurant that I go to for breakfast two to three times a week. And I go to the same restaurant every week. And I get to know the same, the people who go there. And I begin to strike up conversations with them. And this is an avenue for me to proclaim the gospel. So a lot of times it's been been on interest. You know, if you're into sports and you're on a little league team or, or if there's other interests you have, speech and debate or other things, those are opportunities. But we need, as believers, to find a pond that we can get our boat out into and get to know people and begin to walk alongside them. That's really important. Um, You know, sharing our faith, boldness, Paul wasn't the only one who needed boldness. We all need boldness, don't we? We all need it. Who would have thought that D. James Kennedy who created Evangelism Explosion, was at one point a man who never shared his faith. He actually went to an evangelistic conference and he preached on evangelism. But the pastor who was with him quickly found out this guy doesn't know how to share his faith. And he went away from that meeting going, wow, I need to work on this. And that resulted in him beginning to Incorporate evangelism into his life to create evangelism explosion, which, been, which has been in a hundred countries, and he grew his little church of 17 to a lot more than 17. Evangelism is an amazing opportunity. This is a glorious passage as we look at this for what God has for us today. Norman Geisler, another one who was a director of a youth organization, a pastor, a Bible teacher who literally was not sharing his faith. And God orchestrated events to bring him to a place where he saw the need to begin to obey the scriptures in evangelism. And he said this, the most rewarding experiences I've had in my Christian life have not come from teaching, pastoring, or ministering around the world. They've come from meeting with non-Christians and seeing one after another come to know christ our god has a missionary heart our god has a heart for people who don't know him and he wants us in this passage to pray for those doors to be open and to be bold as we move out now notice in this passage this one little statement paul makes he says um, in verse three on account of which i am in prison To declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Paul shared boldly. And it put him where? In prison. Paul carried that around with him. And yet Paul is praying, hey, even within this prison, Lord give me boldness to proclaim the gospel. The entire Praetorian guard there knew about the gospel. Caesar's household knew about the gospel. Even in prison, even though Paul was in prison, the word of God was not in prison. God's word continued to spread among them. And so Paul is calling them. See, part of the call of being an ambassador is you're willing to suffer as you share the gospel. Now, it may be as much as somebody saying, I don't want to talk about that. That's mild. It can be worse. It may be that you lose an advancement in your company. It may be that you lose your job because of the gospel. It may be be that you lose other relationships because of the gospel. And this is why we pray that God will give us boldness and be willing to what? Suffer for the sake of the gospel. Paul says, I want to declare the mystery of Christ. God does not always protect his kids when they're doing his work he puts them in situations that for his purposes are to proclaim the gospel in other areas God's goal is not to make us always comfortable and he puts us in situations for the purpose of the gospel notice Paul wasn't complaining about his healing saying please pray for me I gotta get out of here he did not ask for that. Isn't that amazing? That'd be my first request right there. Pray that they'll let me out of this place. The beds are too short. You know? No, it wasn't Paul's prayer at all. Few of us have suffered for the gospel like Paul has. And Paul understood it was part of being a believer. When the, when the disciples were flogged by the Sanhedrin, they went away rejoicing considering it considering themselves to be worthy to suffer for the sake of the gospel we all suffer for the gospel in different ways and many times <clears throat> if we focus on our suffering we'll miss the opportunities that are there in the middle of it think about paul here's paul with in philippi they're preaching the gospel they get arrested Remember what happens? They get thrown in the Philippian jail and they're singing in, in stocks and in the middle of the night an earthquake comes and sets them free and the jailer comes in and says, what must I do to be saved? What an opportunity. Now, now what if Paul had said, what if Paul had said, um, you know guys, you're going to arrest me. I'm a Roman citizen. What would have happened at that point? He would have never gone to jail, would he? Why did Paul not mention that? I mean, he did in other situations when they're bringing out the whip. he go, uh, I'm a Roman citizen. Was it just the Lord caused him to forget that for a second? In the midst of everything that was going on? You see, when we pray for boldness and we pray... For suffering, we're also praying that God's going to direct our words and our thoughts and our actions. And for whatever reason, Paul didn't declare his Roman citizenship, and he was beaten. And he was in the inner prison. And he had the glorious opportunity to lead the Philippian jailer to Christ. In the midst of our suffering, we're so many times trying to figure out how to get out of the suffering... And I'm not saying we shouldn't try to get out of suffering, but don't miss the opportunity that whatever your situation has brought you to affords you an opportunity for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Three prayers for the mystery of Christ to be made clear. It's a mystery, nobody's gonna figure out the mystery. Nobody would think that the God of heaven became a man and died on the cross to forgive us of our sins and to transform us and to make us into ambassadors. Nobody's going to believe that story. It's a mystery. They they wouldn't even think it up. You can't make this kind of stuff up. It's a mystery. It's hidden from people. And Paul says what? Pray that I'll be able to make it clear, that I'll be able to communicate it clearly to those people. We have a responsibility to those to make the, the gospel a clear presentation. Ephesians 6.19, Paul's asking the Ephesian church that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Friends, we need grace to make it clear and simple. I can make things very confusing when I talk to people. They won't know which ends up. Paul Is asking for clarity. So we pray that we might be able to proclaim it clearly. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that God's word equips us for every good work. One way we prepare ourselves to proclaim the gospel clearly is that we study the Bible so that we can clearly explain what God has done for us. Part of clear communication is understanding who you're talking to. Evangelism is relational. It's not just like the U.S. Postal Service that comes by and drops the package off to the mail and heads on down the road. It requires relationship. It requires talking to people. It requires finding out where they are and understanding their life and being compassionate and caring for them as a person and being able to speak the gospel in a way they understand it. We have to understand where people are coming from and what their issues are. One other reason to pray, Paul asked the Colossians to pray that they might glorify God when his prayers were answered. You know, I think a lot of times we see Paul asking for prayer in Colossians. We see Paul asking for prayer in Ephesians. We see Paul asking for prayer all the time. And a lot of times there's this mindset, well, if we get a bunch of people praying, then God's going to answer. We've got to get a lot of people involved in this so we can get enough leverage to get this thing to happen. Do we really believe that? God can take the prayer of one person and do whatever He wants. God can do whatever He wants without prayer. But He's made it such that we pray. And He's shown through different passages of Scripture that He hears the prayers of His people. And what God wants in, our, in His prayers for us to pray is that we understand our need. A lot of us are very sufficient in our own selves. And we wouldn't think about praying in this. Well, I, under, I got the gospel presentation down. I'm ready to go share the gospel. you am going to take more than that. Prayer puts us in a place of realizing our dependence upon Christ. And it makes us aware and we see when God answers the Prayer. And so when we ask other people to pray, it's from Paul's perspective, it is, I want them to see the glory of Christ. Sam Storm says, we don't supply God with anything. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by men, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to us to all mankind life and breadth and everything. Acts 17, four and 25. So that being true, why did he make it all? He made it all so that in, its, in our utter and absolute dependence on Him, for everything for His glory, as God might be seen and savored, our need magnifies his supply. Our lack draws attention to his abundance. God honors and glorifies himself by overflowing in bountiful blessings to those who otherwise deserve only death. And how do we get these blessings? By praying for them. God suspends his work on our prayers, not because he can't do it alone, but because our prayers highlight our dependence and his supply. We are humbled as dependent and he is exalted as depended upon. That is so true. I don't even sometimes realize I have a need until God brings me into a situation where I'm in desperate straits. And then I realize, where's my source of help here? It is in God. And so God glories in meeting our needs by his rich supply. Do you have a need here today? In whatever area you have in your life, go to him. He is rich in mercy, he is rich in supply, he is the one who has all that we need. And the sooner we do that, whether it's in evangelism or in our finances or in our marriage or in, any of the, or in our own personal um, sanctification, The sooner we go to him, the sooner he begins to open the doors and let his grace pour through to change the entire situation. Spurgeon said our great object of glorifying God is to be mainly achieved by the winning of souls, and I would say, and by discipleship. Everyone can have a part in winning souls for Christ. So prayer, it begins with prayer. Secondly it is by walking in wisdom how do we reach and minister to unbelievers by walking in wisdom we've already learned in colossians 3 that we're putting off the old man putting on the new man so we're walking differently than those who are not saved first timothy four sixteen tells paul tells timothy keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching persist by this for by doing so you will save both yourself And your hearers paul tells timothy what your your message is not only proclaimed by your words but by your what by your life watch your own life in other words and line it up with the scriptures by god's grace and then be careful in what you proclaim and for timothy he would save not only himself but those who heard the same thing is true for all of us as we talk to other people Walking in wisdom means our conduct fits in with what Scripture says a Christian's conduct should be. And our words are the same way. Joseph Aldrich said, God's evangelistic strategy, in a nutshell, is this. He desires to build into you and me the beauty of his own character and then to put us on display. That is why he's telling them, put off and put on. Notice he didn't have the evangelistic part here before he had what? Put off and put on. He's doing it sequentially in order. So as we're putting off the old man, putting on the new, we're also reflecting the glory of Christ to people who don't know. And we become a fragrance of eternal life to people who need desperately to see Christ. I remember when we worked with international students, we had one one Chinese student who just looked at me and said, Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you picking people up at the airport? Why are you going to the thrift stores and helping us buy furniture? Why are you taking us to Walmart and showing us how to shop? Why are you coming by and speaking with us and caring for us? There's only one answer. It's Christ, right? Christ is the reason that we do these things. Christ loved us when we were aliens and strangers. He reached out to us and cared for us. As we manifest his character, and what's his character? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. That is in short supply in the world, friends. If you let Christ live his life through you, people will have questions they will wonder what's going on. As a matter of fact, in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the hope that lies within you. Why are they going to ask you about your hope? Because you're joyful. Because you are concerned about them and not just yourself. And you're living a life that they can't. Even as imperfectly as it is. So God's goal is to put us on display in all types of situations. And I would say not only individually, I would say as a church body. Church needs to be a place where we can invite people who don't know Jesus. And Bible studies need to be a place where people can be invited who don't know Jesus. And where they can watch us live life together. The Bible says all men will know you're my disciples if you what? Love one another. God uses the church. One author said, like a model home. You know how when you're going to open up a brand new addition, you build a house that's kind of a prototype of what's going to be in the rest of the neighborhood? And everybody comes in, ooh, I like this house and I want to be in this neighborhood. And so when all you got is dirt out there. They're like, hey, but this is going to be great because look what this house looks like. The church is like a model home for unbelievers. It shows what this whole what the kingdom of God will be like one day. Isn't that amazing? It's a place where people can see on display the character of Christ and Christ's rulership over a group of people. And you know what? We have the fragrance of Christ when we live and love each other and care for each other and welcome unbelievers in. And not trying to you know close the deal in the first meeting. But being able to read the scriptures with them and instruct them and let them ask questions and care about them as a person and not just treat them as a prospect for a sale a lot of evangelism there's a reason a lot of people don't like doing evangelism and a lot of it's because it's really done tastelessly there's a place for street preaching there's a place for meeting somebody in one encounter and proclaiming the gospel to them But sometimes our evangelism is because we have a guilty conscience and we're just trying to check a box, and we're not concerned about the person themselves. One author tells about a youth camp that he had with a bunch of international students, and in that international in that campground they were talking about how they do missions and how do we evangelize, and this one girl named Maria from Africa stated, we don't have missions or give pamphlets away. And I'm not saying we don't give pamphlets away or tracts away. I'm, I'm a big fan of tracts or pamphlets. But this is what she said. We just send one or two Christian families to live and work in a, in a village where people don't know Jesus. We just put them in there. And when people see what Christians are like, then they want to be Christians too. Plant ourselves in places where people can get a chance to put to see us on display plant yourself in the little league and let them see the glory of God plant themselves in, the, in this business and let them see the glory of God plant themselves in this school and let them see the glory of God plant, plant yourself wherever God gives you the desire to plant yourself plant yourself and let the glory of God be put on display and love people and begin to build relationship with them And watch them turn to Christ. So it's in conduct. God wants to put our conduct on display. And then secondly, um, our speech. He wants our words to be, and he's going to talk about this here um, with um, with gracious and salty language. Piper says, wisdom is knowing what to do for the glory of God when the rule book runs out. I like that. All of us want God to tell us everything to do, right? If he built that book, I couldn't even bring it in this room, right? I mean, this is heavy enough as it is. He gives us principles here, but he doesn't tell us how to do every little thing. He doesn't. It knows how to become all things to all men without compromising holiness and truth, Piper says. It is creativity and tact and thoughtfulness. It's having a feel for the moment and having an eye for what people need and and want. Being an ambassador is a skill that we learn. And you're not going to do it perfectly, probably ever. And that's okay. But get out in the boat, put a worm on your hook, and get out there and start fishing for men but first start by just trying to get to know them and finding out about their life and being willing to have unbelieving friends and acquaintances you spend time with to help them see the glory of god we're supposed to walk in wisdom well how do we get wisdom well we know one of them is meditating on scripture proverbs literally the the book of proverbs solomon says wisdom cries out in the streets (laughs) anyone who wants to be wise come in here we need to be students of proverbs we need to be students of the word of god the bible says in psalm 19 the testimony of the lord is sure making wise the simple let the word of christ dwell in you richly this is what we just learned about in the first part of three right Let the Word of God richly dwell within you. That helps equip you. The Bible tells us the Word of God equips us for every good work. Prayer. If anyone lacks wisdom, ask God. So we get wisdom from the Word. We get wisdom from asking God for it. And by the way, your lack of diligence in the Word is going to hamper your wisdom. Okay? God's not going to serve up instant oatmeal every time you need wisdom. You need to be in the Word, growing in your understanding of the Word and wisdom in how you relate with people, and obviously ask God for wisdom. And then third, sound counselors, people who can give you godly counsel. If you want to know how to be an ambassador, find somebody who's already being an ambassador and just hang with them. We have some ambassadors in this church, Tim Bolton, he's constantly out proclaiming the gospel. Just find yourself on his right shoulder wherever he goes. And watch him and watch what he does and watch what he says and watch how he relates to people. It's called on-the-job training. Find somebody who's doing it, who's being an ambassador and hang with them and watch what they do. And then applying biblical principles and life experiences. How do we get wisdom? We have to live life and apply God's word. There's no shortcut to it. But God will give us grace in this. This is what's amazing. So secondly, we have to walk in wisdom, both in words, in our speech. And then third, we have to take advantage of the opportunities. A lot of us act like we have forever to do God's work. We don't. Buy up the opportunities, Barclay says, buy every possible opportunity. We all understand this in business, don't we? I mean you only have, you know what opportunities you have and you grab everyone you can. Somebody calls you on the phone, you call them back. You know you need to get a hold of them and you need to find out if we can do business together. With College Plus, everybody who sends in a form to College Plus, I will try to call them. Every one of them is an opportunity. I don't know which ones will go through, but they're all important. And there's an urgency about getting a hold of them. I can't let it wait. We live, we're living life every day. And we need to take advantage, we need to redeem the time. Finding those people who God's put around us, who are just sitting there, and we need to engage them. Start off just engaging them as a friend. Build a relationship and be clear in helping them understand who Jesus is. When I was a headmaster at at the classical Christian school, we had a man who, He was searching for Christ. He he came out of a religious background that was somewhat Christian, but he was searching. He was looking. And he would always get, we'd always get into a a religious conversation. Even at school, we would get this conversation. And I finally said, listen, why don't don't we go through the book of John together? You read a chapter, I'll read a chapter, we'll sit down, you you ask questions, we can just talk about it. We did that week after week after week. After school, all the kids left. He came to my office. We sit down. He had read the passage. We talked about it. God had other people working on his life. The man came to faith in Christ. See opportunities that are there. Be willing to be impositioned for those opportunities. Piper says, Life is a series of never-to-be-repeated opportunities for buying up spiritual blessings. Today, you have an opportunity for spiritual blessing. There's people in this church today who need to be encouraged. There's people who need to be pointed back to Jesus. There may be somebody here today who doesn't know Jesus. Do we come in and just focus on ourselves? Or are we looking for opportunities? The people we live with, the people we're in contact with, family members, different situations, those are all wonderful opportunities that we need to take, it, we need to take action On those opportunities. Albert Moeller, the president of Southern Seminary, has a skull on his desk. You're like, that's weird. Is it for Halloween? No, it's not for Halloween. He has it there to remind him life is short. If you're gonna do something for Jesus, now's the time to do it. Because one day, your skull may be on somebody's desk. Okay? Anyway, you get the point. If we see death, if we understand that, we're more serious about how we live our life, taking advantage of the opportunities. Fourth, so it's not just taking advantage, it's not just walking in wisdom. Fourth, it is being gracious in our opportunities. And here's how do we, how are we we gracious with people who are unbelievers? How are we gracious with people who live a life that we go, I can't believe you're living that way. I mean, I'm a sinner, but I can't believe you're living this way. How do we live with people who are really down and out? How do we not live with them? How do we interact with them? It goes back to realizing our relationship with Jesus and realizing our sin and how wicked it was. It really does. We have to see ourselves as fellow sinners with everybody we come in contact with. Sometimes the problem we have is this. We kind of get cleaned up a little bit. We look pretty good in our suit. We come to church. We're not doing some of those things that people are doing. And we kind of get this feeling of superiority. And we come at people with a self-righteousness. That doesn't play real well with people. You know, we have the whole issue now in our culture of the acceptance of homosexuality. And there's all kinds of responses to that. But sometimes in the middle of the political fight, we lose sight of the fact that these people are people made in the image of God and who are in bondage to sin. And so we need to be able to come to them in graciousness and acknowledge that along with them we have been affected by the fall. That we are fellow sinners with them. And we have found great hope in Jesus. So many times the way we interact with people that we really have a problem with how they're living is we just kind of We kind of come at them with with the law and with hardness. And we're not saying we don't speak about sin. But being able to come at people and be able to be gracious with them. This is why we need the character of Christ. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Do we have humility with those who really have some issues? We all have issues. Do we really have that with them? Can we really reach out to them and speak to them as a real person? Can we really get to know where they're at? Can we really, or do we not even want to be in the same area where they're at? Jesus shocked the Pharisees by, by eating with tax collectors and sinners. Those were the down and outers and Jesus was eating with them. Can you invite someone home to your home and sit down with them and serve them a meal and get to know them as a person. Evangelism takes work. It takes really coming out of our comfort zone and really putting ourselves out there and really getting out into the mud and dealing with people where they're at. May I submit to you that's what Jesus did for us. That's what Jesus did for you and for me. And as wicked as you think the person is who has whatever sin issue they have, your sin was strong enough to take you to hell. My sin was strong enough to take me to hell. And we need to constantly remember that as we deal with these people and bring some of them into the kingdom. Remember in 1 Corinthians 6? Paul tells them in 1 Corinthians 6. He's talking about the people. Here it is in verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Wow. Wow. Isn't that great? This church had people who had all those issues, had some of those issues, and they had been transformed by Jesus. That is amazing. So our message should be gracious, and we should point them to Christ. We should point them to Christ. 1 Peter 3 says, Always be prepared to give a defense for anyone who asks you for the hope and do it with gentleness and respect. And when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will for doing evil. We have to drink from the gospel of Christ to be gracious. If we don't, we're just going to have a hard, sharp answer. And I've seen, I've seen, I've I've talked about this before, in Raleigh they had this gathering of, of homosexual families and they had guys come in with huge banners and they just stood there and it said, you know, basically repent or go to hell. That was their message. Is that a true message? Yeah, it's a true message. But... Is there any relationship being built? Is there any connection here? Is there any acknowledgement that we're fellow sinners and I've found the relief of Christ here? Is there any acknowledgement of that? No. Basically, it almost sounds like I haven't sinned. I'm perfect. You're a wretched sinner and you're going to hell. You better turn. Jesus did not treat people that way. He, de- he dealt with the Pharisees that way because they continued to set themselves up against him. Remember the woman at the well? She comes to Jesus. Jesus didn't have his sign. Repent. You got five. You've had five husbands. You're on six. That was not the first thing out of his mouth, was it? At John four. He talks to them about living water. He talks to her about salvation. He talks to her about him being the Messiah. He puts life and gospel first, and then he brings her around in a way and lets her know I know you have sin. I know you have sin. You're living with a man who's not your husband, and you've already had five other husbands. So he didn't negate the sin, but he didn't lead with it. Does that make sense? He led with pointing her to himself first as the source of all life and then he made sure he reminded her of why she needed him. We should be offering people Christ and humble as we talk with fellow sinners. Our conversation should be salty. What does that mean? Salt really makes stuff tastes Good. I love popcorn if it has salt, okay? I even like watermelon if it has salt. Anyway, have you drawn so much from Jesus and your relationship with him that you can present him in a way that causes people to want him? Or is your relationship with Jesus just, I do this and I do this and I do this and I do this and, and I'm just trying to obey God, And that's what I do. And we don't don't really have a relationship in which we draw upon his grace. Because if in the end, if your evangelism is just duty bound, then you're just telling them, they gotta make this choice. But you're never telling them about the beauty of Christ. We of all people should know about the beauty of Christ. Christ and what he's done for us. And out of the overflow of that, we should be able to share that with somebody else. And this is why, if we're not walking with him, if we're not drinking from the well of the gospel regularly in our life, then our evangelism kind of has an edge to it. It's kind of evangelism. I'm not saying God can't use it, but it it doesn't have the saltiness or the savoriness that it needs. And we're to be persuasive. And if we've truly been saved by Christ, we should be able to paint him in a picture that is truthful and honest and is glorious and draws people to him. And five or six, whichever it is. So graciousness, salty, drawing them into that. Howard Hendricks says, you can't lead a horse to water or you, the old adage, the, the, you can't draw a horse to well, Easy for me to say. According to the old adage, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. That's true, but you can feed him salt. You can salt his oats. That's what we're called to do with people. By our life, by the joy we have, by our relationship with Christ, we want people to see the beauty of Jesus. And notice the last part of Colossians. He says let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt so that you may know how to you ought to answer each person evangelism is very personal every person is different no canned approach is going to work for every person the gospel travels along relationships the American Institute for Church Growth surveyed 8,000 church members and this is what they found of how people came to Jesus. One to 2% came there because of special needs. Two to 3% just walked into the church and heard, heard the message of the gospel. Five to 6% were influenced by a particular preacher. Two to 3% liked the church program. One to 2% were affected by the visitation effort outreach. 75 to 90% it was because of the influence of friends and family. 75 to 90%. A lot of us are fearful of evangelizing. And a lot of us have a way that we think we have to do it like everybody else. All of us can share Christ in a different way. Some of us may be more bold in our proclamation early. Others of us may build a relationship longer. But what we find here is that we can all bring people to Jesus. you look at Andrew, Andrew first brought Peter to Jesus, then Andrew brought Nathaniel to Jesus. Both of them. And a lot of times it may be that you just say, hey, we got a church event coming, why don't you come join us for this event? And someone else here will be able to share the gospel. We can all be Andrews. We can all today, as a result of this message, begin to build relationship with unbelievers if we haven't already. But it's personal. Get to know the person hear their story, know where they're coming from, and share with them the beauty of Christ. Finally, an application. Are you praying for opportunities to build relationships with unbelievers? Are you asking God to change your heart toward unbelievers? Two, are you growing in wisdom and how you live and understand God's word? We all need to grow in that. Three, Are you conscious of redeeming the opportunities God has placed around you? Four, do you offer people the gracious salvation of Christ or a man-made religion? Point them to Christ. And finally, are you willing to roll up your sleeves and get into other people's lives? That only comes from the love of God, friends. Friends, All of us have busy lives. I'm too busy. No. Someone was not busy enough to share the gospel with me. Someone was not busy to share the gospel with you. May God give us grace to see those opportunities and to draw upon the relationship we have with Christ and show them the beauty of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage. What a convicting passage and what a joyful passage that you called us all to take part in some way, shape, or form in your gospel and be ambassadors. Oh, Father, I pray that you do what I can't do, that you would change our hearts more and more to be willing to be equipped for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to take this incredible message to those who were slaves to sin. Father, give us your love for people who are unbelievers. And grant us grace as we reach out to them. In Jesus' name, amen.